Here it is. Again. One, two, three, I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Little girls should be seen and not heard. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Rob. And I'm Joseph. Welcome to the Jim Carroll Deep Dive Edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave 1976 to 1986. We are here to celebrate the music of punk rock poet and famed teen heroin addict Jim Carroll. That's quite an intro for Jim. <laughs> That's kind of what he's most famous for, right? Well, well. Primarily an acclaimed um, poet documenting yeah. life in the New York underbelly of the second half of the 70s, Jim Carroll released um, four full-length studio albums full of tales of drug addiction, homelessness, sex, and of course, dying too young. Yeah. So let's kick it off with a cut from uh, his debut with the Jim Carroll band. This is a song called I Want an Angel. I want the angel with dreams of fatal that calls the snakes milk to run and curl. I want the angel with darkness doubles and songs of brilliance of all my trouble. I want the angel that will not shatter every time I whisper, girl, it does not matter. I want the I want an angel, I have to say, has got to be it's it's probably the second most well-known Jim Carroll song. Um and and ever since we started getting this episode together, that song has stuck in my head more than anything. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm going to contradict you on that when uh -huh. we get to oh, the yeah. <laughs> Jim Carroll 101. Okay. Um, because it is not in the top five of what? his most streamed songs. Yeah. That's okay. Okay. But great. Before we get into any of that, first things first, I got to remind everybody that we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. This is an opinion show. But even so, we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated because ultimately we are here to uh, celebrate this extraordinary music that was created during a pretty unique period of time. So, Rob, we have a guest. Yay! And I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, it's been a long journey <laughs> to, to get here. It's been a wild, wild and crazy road. But yeah. Um, we are joined by Michael Greco, who is, at this point, should be a pretty familiar voice for our regular listeners. This yeah. is his third time um, as a guest. We are so excited that you, last minute, Michael, you stepped up. You said, I love Jim Carroll, and uh, you are here to help us celebrate his music. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you. You guys are way too kind. Um it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here and um, always willing to help out in an Sweet. emergency. 
<laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's pretty great even just to have you on the show, whether it's an emergency or not. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Michael, you, of course, um, in the past, you've joined us to discuss the um, Boston scene in the late 70s. That is one of um, the our past shows that get mentioned the most from our listeners. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, so you, it was talk about diving deep in that deep dive. I mean, there were uh, we, we've heard from several people um, uh, commenting on how many bands they had never heard of that, that were turned on because of, uh, because of that episode. So, and then of course, originally you joined us for the Devo episode and your, um, area of expertise is this kind of music because of course you were a photographer in the day. Well, it still are, but, but back in the seventies in Boston, you were, you were shooting, um, uh, photos of all of these bands. You've published a book. We've talked about it many times. Uh, can you remind us uh, the title of that book? Um, punk, post-punk. I have to I have to sit down and break it out and remember it. Punk, post-punk, new wave. On stage, backstage, in your face, 1978 to 1991. I guess the the my editor wanted to be very descriptive, very specific. That <laughs> <laughs> clear, it's clear. And an extremely SEO friendly title. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. I, yeah. I guess it is for sure. But but the website's called Days of Punk because uh, yeah. making a URL that long just really uh, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't work too well. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, both Rob and I uh, own this book, and yep. um, it is we can't recommend it high and highly enough. It is. Um, you know, you can practically smell the sweat and grime and urine off of these, off of these photos. So. It, we continue. We continue to sell that book out of the bookshop too. Oh, um, that's wonderful. I continue to talk to people about it, and it just keeps going. So that that's that's really wonderful. You, you know, I was. It, it's a project that was very close to my heart because I was a club kid. It wasn't like I've spent a lot of time in my career documenting subcultures. I did a book on the people in the adult video uh, uh, arena. I've shot cults. I've shot you know all sorts of subcultures, but that was a subculture I was a part of. So yeah. you know, I love the music. Uh, we've had four museum shows around the world with that work and it's just been uh, it's been incredible and and putting the book together made me realize like just what I was a part of you know and you know how much I love the music to this day perfect segue into our Jim Carroll 101 absolutely just the basics so Jim Carroll was born in 1949 in New York um, he worked with Andy Warhol uh, as a writer for uh, the Andy Warhol films and as a theater manager. He dated Patti Smith uh, and moved to California. Then he started the band. Uh, his The Jim Carroll Band, which appeared on the first three albums that he released, first three studio albums that he released uh, included... Uh, Steve Lindsay, Wayne Woods, Brian Lindsay, and Terrell Wynn. 
And then, of course, he passed away in 2009. <clears throat> He's the author of a, uh, a pretty famous book turned into a movie uh, called The Basketball Diaries. The top five Jim Carroll songs streamed on uh, Spotify. Number one is People Who Died, obviously. Uh, they, that song is played 25 times more than any of his other songs, at least on Spotify. The second most streamed is Wicked Gravity. Number three is It's Too Late, which we've heard in our last episode. Mm -hmm. Number four was Catholic Boy, which we also heard. And, and number five is a song we're going to hear today called Three Sisters. Yeah, interesting. Nice list. Okay, we ready for our rankings? Oh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Jim Carroll uh, released four full-length studio albums, one EP and one live album. So I'm including the EP uh, in my rankings, but not the live album. So number five is the... Uh, EP, this was the last thing that he released in 2000 called Runaway. Number four is the Jim Carroll Band's second album, Dry Dreams. Number three for me is Pool of Mercury, released in 1998. Now, this is going to be probably a little controversial, but um, my number two is Catholic Boy. And oh, sorry. <laughs> I actually prefer um, I Write Your Name a uh, little bit better, and we can get into that yeah. when, when we get to the album. So okay. I've, you, you know me, I'm much more, I come from a songwriter headset mm -hmm. uh, than, a, than a poet. And so that appeals, that, that album appeals to the songwriter sensibilities in yeah. me. So what about you, Rob? Um, well, I at first thought we were going to see eye to eye here, but uh, not the case so much. Um, my number five is going to be the EP Runaway. My number four is I Write Your Name. Number three is Pools of Mercury. Number two is Dry Dreams. And number one is Catholic Boy. You can definitely, through these five albums, see how time is changing and how his style changes, how the music changes. I don't think he changed himself. It was the style and the and the the music that changed around him as time went on. And so better is not true. I think there's definitely a change. I like mm -hmm. the old Jim Carroll style. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So let's let's talk about your favorite Jim Carroll songs, Michael. Well, for me, I, I think People Who Died is, is it was yeah. just groundbreaking at the time. It was, yeah, yeah. you know, it was a club hit. It was, a, you know, and, and part of me likes it for it being groundbreaking, you know, knowing the impact it had at the time in, in the clubs and in the scene. But I am just the opposite here. I think that the single Tension, which is from the 70s, is mm -hmm. probably you know, right up there with one of my favorites. It's, it's raw. It's, you know, so I, I don't agree with Rob on that. Like mm -hmm. it's raw and it's just, you know, it's, it's got a great sound. The music has a great sound. So then I would go with, uh, I want the angel, um, mm -hmm. falling down laughing. I like the live version Yeah, and hair shirt fracture. 
So, and those last two are actually off of his um, a 2000 EP, the, the, last, the last release that he did. Okay, awesome. Well, I think we're ready to jump into the albums, unless anybody's got any last-minute thoughts. Nope. nope. No, Great. let's go for it. So we have uh, spent a little bit of time talking about the 1980 release, Catholic Boy. This was, of course, his debut album um, with the Jim Carroll Band. Uh, we It is most famous for the song People Who Died, uh, which we heard last episode. Uh, the other two songs that we featured last episode was It's Too Late and Catholic Boy. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, let, let's go ahead and, and... So at the top of the show, of course, we, we listened to um, I Want the Angel... Uh, let's, uh, which was my pick. Let's listen to your pick, Rob, and then okay. and then we'll talk a little bit more about the album. So, what is what is your pick off this album for tonight? Okay, so off Catholic Boy. I mean, again, this is my favorite album, and we've already heard you know my very favorite songs off of it. But uh, I decided to pick Three Sisters and listen to this song lately about a dozen times, maybe even more, just within a week. So. Uh, the song's really grown on me. Let's check it out. No, I don't understand her. I love my sister. Her name's Miranda. The boys from uptown, they can't stand her. The more she denies them, the more they demand her. But she just want to lay in bed all night. Reading Raymond Chandler. She got high heel shoes. She sings blues. She says I her dabber when she goes down. Again, like I said, I, I mean, I'm like most of his work, right? But this is this is poetry with music, and there's I have a, there's a special place in my heart for, for poetry and especially Jim Carroll's poetry. There's this personal feeling, there's this honesty. And even if he doesn't have three sisters, I don't know if he's got three sisters or not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he well, let's go about, Wikipedia him. Come on. <laughs> yeah. He's, he sings about how he wishes all girls were his sisters so that they would, would talk to him like his sister Miranda does. And I, I, there's this, something personal about that, 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 I don't know, it kind of hits me, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Michael, were you aware of this album when it was released? You, you, I think you mentioned earlier that you never got an opportunity to photograph him. Did you ever see him live? Uh, never saw him live, but you know, the, the music made an impact on the radio. It, it was one of those, you know, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, people who died broke through even, uh, you know, on commercial radio just because it, it, it was a niche song. I don't want to call it a, you know, I don't want to call it a, 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 a trick, a novelty song, but it was, it, it, it was, a. It, it was niche and it was powerful if you listen yeah. to the words of it. So, mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I was just, I, I respect him. I never ran out and bought, you know, every record he ever made. 
So that song just missed the Billboard uh, 100. So to, I I mean, I technically, I'm not sure that you could even call him a one hit wonder. Um, But this is by far his um, most famous song. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like it, but it is, it isn't close to being my favorite of his songs. I mean, it's kind of just a, it's it's a list poem, right? He just he just kind of lists all of. Presumably, it's a hundred percent autobiographical. Um, lists all of the people that he knew that died at a young age, um, but doesn't you know we we know how these people died, but we don't really know anything about the people. So, to me, it is. I mean, it's catchy, but narratively, it's not that engaging to me. I, you, you know what? I disagree on that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My I, favorite, I, say I do, too. My favorite b 52 song is a list song. You know, <laughs> women, of yeah. the, women of the USA. Like, my favorite b 52 song, back when they weren't just a new wave dance band, they were kind of a punk band, is, is a list song. And I don't think... That's bad, uh, you know. No, 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 no. I don't. I, don't I know, but either. the way it's the way you say it, it, it kind of like undermines the song. Who was that other? Who was that other band that talked where he talked about all his girlfriends and named all his girlfriends? Oh, see, see, I, I, <laughs> right, I, I know, I know what you're talking. Um, what is? We we are gonna cover that. And, and let's. Uh, I'm blanking jo- out. But, but, <laughs> Joseph, but Joseph. to be clear, I mean, we, I. I love 52 girls. Um, but I, I don't love it because of the lyrics. I think the lyrics are fine. The lyrics fit oh, 52 music, girls. That's it. Yeah. But, uh, but I love it because of the music, right? So the, the story of 52 girls is not a particularly compelling story. Yeah, but it was, it was at the time you have to understand. It's like, <laughs> how, how, I'm sorry. How old are you? I don't know this um, after our third show. How old are you? So <laughs> when this came out, I was 12. So okay. I was in, I was way out in the middle of nowhere. So I, I, I have about, I have about t- at least 10 years on you. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so it was, it was powerful. Someone was celebrating women. Like that made it powerful. You, you have to realize you know, in in its context, fifty two girls, and the same way that that the list of Jim Carroll's was a list that he had that many people that died, like mm-hmm. that it that made that made it very powerful. So I, um, in the last week, I just I flashed on something is like, wouldn't it be cool? I, so what I would what I think would have been fantastic. Of course, this is not a possibility, but um, I I wish that Jim Carroll at some point had written a song about each one of these people that that is name check in in this in this song. Wouldn't that have been great? Would have been uh, interesting. Yeah. I think it would have. Yeah. Well, also the way I look at it, and I I agree with Michael that it's I I like this song a lot and. That I, I do think it is important, and I think it is kind of telling 
a little bit about Jim. You know, it's not a song about those people necessarily. It's a song about him and what he lived through, you know, what he, mm-hmm. what he mm-hmm. survived, what he, you know, he was in a, he was in a, a lifestyle and a life in a, in a place where, you know, kids messed around or young people fucked around and they, they ended up dying and here he goes and he's carrying on. So yeah. I think it's important in that way. So I, uh... You guys are making it sound like I don't like this song. I like this song just fine. Yeah. I, okay, let me let, let me pose this question to you. Um, give, if given the scenario where um, Jim Carroll can only be it is is mostly known for one song, is this the right song for him to be known by? I think so. See, yeah. I there there are other other songs of his I find much more compelling. Well, but but for the for the content alone, and and, and I I agree that it, it talks it's about his life. It's about it's about like growing up in Manhattan in uh-huh. days where Manhattan wasn't a safe place to grow up, and, right? Right. And having all his friends on the seedy side, and living, you know, wherever he lived in Manhattan in Alphabet City or in Times Square, whichever side of, I'm sure, lower Manhattan. And it, it was really about, you know, the, the, the hellhole that, you know, people got themselves into at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what, what, what else do we want to... Well, I have a question before we move on. I have a question to you, Joseph. Okay. Um, in regards to list songs, um, how do you feel about Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire? Oh, I hate it. <laughs> I just hate Billy Joel. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I, I hate that song for a multitude of reasons. Oh, yeah. And a list song is, is one. I, I'm not opposed to list songs, but but I just, you know, when uh, last episode, when we were talking about Catholic boy and I was bemoaning, well, not bemoaning, but notice uh, noting that the, the songwriting wasn't pretty, you know, I didn't find the songwriting particularly compelling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your, your response was, well, he's a poet, right? So, (laughs) so that, that shifts, that shifts the weight to the lair, uh, to the words, yeah. you know, and to the stories that are, that's being told. And, um, I just, I, I like this song, but I can't connect with it too much because I just yeah. don't know anything about these people, you know? Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah. so anyways, we, we spent way too much time talking about Joseph's feelings about this song and who cares. So I think they're important though, Joseph, you got it. You got to okay, let them out. <laughs> Thank you. This is Joseph's little therapy session. Okay. Can we uh, move on to yeah. the next release? Absolutely. So in, um, 1982, two years later, they released their follow-up called dry dreams. Um, <clears throat> I rank this uh, one of my least favorite of his albums just because it sounds so similar 
to the first album, uh, but not being uh-huh. as good. Um, but but I, I think it's just fine. Um, I think that the, my my one big criticism about Catholic Boy was I was I'm not a fan of the way that the back backup vocals are kind of shoehorned in, and this album Dry Dreams does a lot better job of of integrating that. I I don't remember anything that really stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, on mm. that, but but it's a, it's a fine album, you know, Rob. My attitude toward Jim Carroll, I think, is kind of parallel to the way to your reaction to um, Elvis Costello, where uh-huh. you know you like him, you appreciate him, but you just can't get that excited uh, by him, and you get a little bored with him. Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I, gotcha. I have no criticisms about Jim Carroll. How do you not love Elvis Costello every day, <laughs> yeah. every day in every way in everything he's done and everything he's written? I'm sorry. I'm working I'm working on it. This is my own this is my own problem. So I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm coming around slowly but surely. <laughs> All right, well let's listen to a song off of this album. Uh, Rob, what what was your pick? I chose Lorraine. And then she took the white light. Then she said, hey, later for the morphine. She took the razor and slit open her white vein. She slit open her white vein. She put the flower through the slit vein. She pulled the white light through the red stem. She put the white light through the red stem. She just pulled it through the red stem. Then I was talking with my angel. I was talking with my angel then. I was underneath the staircase. I was talking with my angel. He said that beauty is only terror. You know, when terror is just beginning. I thought I heard some footsteps. You know, the rain, she was coming. She's been feeling real sick lately. She's been kicking down her habit. I picked Lorraine because of my love of Jim Carroll's poetry. And I kind of feel like this song and and really this whole album, he has a lot of uh, Patti Smith vibe, a lot of Patti Smith influence and a lot of Mm -hmm. maybe even some some Iggy, Iggy Pop influence going on in there. You mentioned that this album is a lot like the first album, mm-hmm. and and it is, but that's partly why I like it. Mm-hmm. It's it's that poet, that young New York poet vibe that I really I really dig, and uh, I think it I think it comes through really strong in Lorraine. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to have a conversation about uh, rock poetry, but let's save that till the end once we get through all of the albums um because we're gonna we're gonna go down a rabbit hole on that if (laughs) if we have time yeah i am not contesting that the music off of these first two albums are punk i mean they they obviously are but there is a lot of just like rock and roll in here um 
and and that's a part of my kind of lukewarminess about this. It's, I mean, um, so uh, Keith Richard of the Rolling Stones was an early advocate of the Jim Carroll band and actually um, helped him out uh, getting the initial uh, record deal. And I think mm-hmm. his his label actually helped produce a couple of the early songs. And that doesn't surprise me. I mean, the, the you can you you can listen to Lorraine and a lot of the songs off of the first two albums and go, of course Keith Richard loved Keith this. Richard, yeah. 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 So it, there, like you said, there is a, there's definitely a rock vibe here, and and this album they included a lot more music musicians too. Like there's more instrumentation going on in this album, which kind of yeah. I think leads it a little bit away from punk vibe. But I think the music and the poetry together, uh, to me, are what really make it punk rock. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well my pick off of this album is a song called Them. I couldn't tell you why, but this is just of of all the songs off of the album. This is the one that that just kind of engages me the most. I, I think it's mostly from a, a musical songwriting perspective. I think it's got some some pretty cool things going on. I am I I enjoy this song quite a bit. Um I boy <laughs> I just keep thinking about, you know, I I'm not going to say that you don't like Jim Carroll's music or that you don't like this album, but I'm thinking about how the music changes as as the albums go along, you know. Um, after after this After album. this. Yes, yes. After this mm-hmm. album. Like this really is the only other album in that old Jim Carroll style that mm-hmm. I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I, I like all his stuff and I, I've enjoyed listening to all these albums, but, but it definitely changes uh, right after this. So. Yeah. Yeah. The next year in 1983, the Jim Carroll band released their third and final album under the moniker of Jim Carroll Band. Uh, it is called I Write Your Name. This this is my favorite of the of his albums because this is the one that it really feels like he's he's coming at it. Um as a songwriter, this mm-hmm. this feels like his most songwriterly album, <laughs> to coin a word. Um, the um, Hold Back the Dreams has excellent 
backup vocals. So I, mm -hmm. I, as they go, they're, they're getting more and more dialed in about how to integrate the, the backup vocals with the, the flow of the song. Um, he, he really, he, here he really feels like he's thinking like a songwriter. Um, yeah, so so I, I, I that's that's why I like this album. I I think there's quite a few pretty compelling songs. Um it does have the low point for me is the Velvet Underground cover of Sweet Jane. I don't that's, <laughs> that's that doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because um when I first listened to it, I prefer not to hear covers of Sweet Jane, you know. <laughs> Oh, Cowboy uh, Junkies. Well, no, no. Okay. Cowboy Junkies was a good version of they, that song. They did. They did indeed. Um, but I was going to say that uh, I think I would have enjoyed his rendition of Sweet Jane more if I haven't heard a million other renditions of mm -hmm. it first. Mm -hmm. Of course, he puts his own spin on it and he takes some liberties with the lyrics. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but I, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I think Sweet Jane, even though I love the song, I've, I've gotten really tired of it over the years. Yeah. I, I think we're missing one song from that album that's, I think is really good is Black Romance. Oh. I, ah, I think yeah. that's a great song. It's a uh, great song. I, I mean, I, I just, I feel like from a songwriting point of view, um, none of the other albums uh, come within a country mile of the of this mm. album this 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 is exactly the way that i like my sort of post-punk rock yeah. uh to sound i like like the first song we're gonna hear is your pick it is mm -hmm. one of my favorites off of the album uh what'd you pick rob i picked hold back the dream and uh, yeah, I think it's got to be my favorite on the album. Down to the Yeah, so for me, this has like a, a darker, dreamier vibe to it. Mm, um, which and, I love. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Um, and and I like the vocals a lot here and, and how also how he works with the synth that's going on. Mm -hmm. um, to me, this this is like his step into new wave music almost. You know, mm. there's um, I think this album's more danceable. It's definitely feeling like 80s pop and uh i know his poetry still at play here but it does like you say it it's 
it's more of a song than a poem with music. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I think that's kind of where he's going. Well, new wave is not a term that I would ever think to, uh, to apply to, to Jim Carroll. Um, but I, I see how it's appropriate here. This is, I think this cut is the, the closest mm -hmm. to that that Jim yeah, yeah. Carroll ever gets. Absolutely. For yeah, but one of the reasons why I like this song so much. Yeah, Black Romance comes off in a very rock and roll way, and it's yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite uh, songs of this album. So. Okay, perfect. Well, let's check that out now. I love that song. To me, it's like his best singing. Mm. He sounds really soulful, and he instead of it being instead of it being poetry to you know set to music, he's singing a song. Like he's yeah. engaged in actually soulfully singing a song, and he's no longer the poet. He's almost the blues rocker here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I agree with you, and I actually wish that he um, did more singing on his songs. I mean, here he's he's almost got like um, uh, Iggy Pop at when he mm -hmm. Iggy is in his like soulful singing mode too, which uh, which I I think works really well for for Jim Carroll. You know, during the song while it was playing, we were talking, and I was like, I'm. Wow, I really dig at this. I might have to reevaluate my my rankings. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I will, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and listen to this album more. Mm, yeah, yeah, I I I'm a big proponent of this album. My my sense is that uh, most hardcore Jim Carroll uh, fans uh, overlook it uh, yeah. compared to, compared to the first two, and. Um, Obviously, my my sensibilities are are very different, but but I, I think this is this is pretty top notch. Uh, fine, this this whole album. So that brings uh, us to my pick, uh, which was the title cut. So this is um, a little bit more upbeat song, at least as far as the sound of it. A song called "I Write Your Name." Choking me, it's hard. You touch the sun to be the only one and watch it run away. I never thought it changed 
right. Now, now this one I'm I'm not crazy about. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Uh, it's it, you know it's it. all it's all right. I mean it's it's like you know it's pre- it's just pretty poppy to me. Um, and I mean that's not I don't know. Like I said, it's not that it's not what I want out of Jim Carroll's mm. music, but I'm already mm. noticing that. I'm liking this album a lot more than I did earlier when I listened to it. So maybe I just mm-hmm. need to sit with it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, I'm, I'm bummed of, of all of the releases that he he's done. This is the one album that is not available on Spotify. Of course, uh, his other albums, um, half of them are under the Jim Carroll band and half of them are under just Jim Carroll. So if you're right. on Spotify and you're searching for them, uh, you you have to be mindful of that. Any last thoughts on I Write Your Name before we uh, jump ahead? Um, what are we talking? I think that I Write Your Name is like everything that, like it's Jim Carroll at his most Jim Carroll, meaning mm-hmm. that he's like talking, you know, poetry, you know, over music. But there's something disjointed about it to me. You know what I mean? There's something that's just like you're you're talking about the song or the whole the album. The song, the song. Oh, itself. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's something just disjointed about the song mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's like the the music's quite not right for the lyrics. You know, there's something that feels off. Yeah, to me. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you on that. It's like mm-hmm. it's like wow, wow. Like he's trying really hard for a hit. You know, and they're gonna really oh. amp up the music, <laughs> but but he's singing about you know, who knows what he's singing about cutting cutting you know someone's name into his arm or something. So it just it feels disjointed to me. Mm. And now some Jim Carroll fan is going gonna go no, that's not what he's talking about. <laughs> that that Michael, he knows nothing about the music industry. <laughs> <laughs> So at this point, um, Jim Carroll shifts focus and and really um, uh, turns his attention back to his writing and his poetry. He doesn't actually release another album until uh, for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So it's not until 1998 that he releases the first album without the Jim Carroll band. So this is just... Um, Jim Carroll, uh, an album called uh, Pools of Mercury. This is a weird one for me. Um, he, he, has, he has basically two modes, and they're very, very different. Um, and they're, both modes are very 90s, but like 1993, not 1998. So it sounds yeah. a little behind its time. So there is some like grungier rock stuff. And then there is stuff that is exactly the opposite, that it is by far his most like, here's a poem, here's some music. I'm going to recite my poem over the music. You know, several of the songs almost sound like he recorded it first and then later somebody came in and and just laid some music underneath, Mm -hmm. Um, which was in in 1993, um, 
around that time, Shimmy Disc was having a bit of a moment with that type of music. So we've talked about bong water in the past and uh, King Missile and stuff like that. And then, um, and then of course the grungier stuff that was big in 1993. So I think this album probably would have gotten, might've gotten a lot more traction if it was released in around that time. But by 1998, it's, feeling a little creaky to me Uh, uh. well i gotta say as far as uh the poetry to music thing um to me this feels like uh, one of jim carroll's uh big influences as far as poetry was uh, the poet frank o'hara and when i was when i had my show on music world radio i would sometimes throw a poem in by by frank o'hara put to music and and it was exactly the way you described it. It was somebody who just came along and mashed up one of their favorite songs, the you know the the instrumental with Frank O'Hara's poetry. And to me, it did feel like that. But it's kind of the reason why I like this album a lot. Mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, and and again, that's the 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 poet poetry lover in me. I guess it's uh, you know, I like I like the atmosphere that it creates. Hmm. Well, um, there are uh, several songs off of this album that where he feels like, just like his last album, he's got his songwriter hat on. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are kind of my, um, some of my favorite songs off of the album. But it is very, very disjointed. Um, it's, it's hard for me to like get into the flow of this album. What is the song that you picked, Robin? <laughs> Which category does it fall into? <laughs> well, yeah, so so we, and we'll get to this when we get to your song too. So uh, yeah. you mentioned that he goes into two different modes, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, my song fits in one mode and yours fits in another. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> so, that. <laughs> so and I can't even say that this is this I mean it's a song. there's music playing, but mm-hmm. uh, I chose uh, female as thunder. Female as thunder, the air filled with thought, felony, drainage. Saints follow Christ in tears. I followed a woman up 8th Avenue today. It was the color of her hair, ginger and Merovingian thick, percussion gentle like shaking dried vanilla beans. It shivered. On her head. At the beginning of this, I, I was very intrigued by the music, right? And I hear the music start to play, and it's it's kind of slow, and it's building, and and I start to get antsy and a little nervous that uh, that Jim Carroll would bust out with with like some Julie Cruz kind of you know <laughs> kind of vocals along with this, but instead he kicks out his his. Jim Carroll poetry, which was fine by me, and and I think it's a really str- I think it's a really strong piece. Um, again, this is poetry with music behind it, but mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we we're ba- we always like to balance things out here, so to give a flavor of um, 
uh, a song off of this album that falls into the kind of more songwriterly mode. My pick is a song called Desert Town. I pitched a ride to Feels like he's got his songwriter hat on for this, but I got to tell you, I, I find this some pretty compelling storytelling as well. Uh-huh. What about you, Michael? Any any thoughts about this album or either of these songs? You weren't at the, at this point. You probably weren't paying too too I, close I attention to Jim Carroll. I was definitely not paying attention in 1999 to to this record. Uh, you know. For me, like I said, I like to go backwards to the single that was released after this album, Yeah, Tension, but was recorded, I think, in the 70s. So oh, yeah. that's one of my favorite songs of all of his, just because of the energy, uh, the music. The, the music sounds different to me. You know, it's yeah. like it, it's more unique. And obviously, if it was in a vault and they knew it was... Uh, um, they knew it was a that they had a gem there, and they re-released it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we'll uh, we will definitely get to that song, but let's let's hold off till the end, just because of the it might get a little confusing chronologically. Pools of Mercury was the final full-length release that Jim Carroll uh, was involved in in two thousand. There was a an EP release. We typically don't spend a lot of time on EPs, but just because you know he he didn't didn't have a large catalog, we tacked this one on. I found this pretty disappointing, just because um, there wasn't anything really new and original, new and original on it. Um, it had a couple of cover songs and then a couple of live versions or remakes of his earlier songs. Um, yeah, I he he did um, a cover of the the t- title song "Runaway," which seemed Oof. extremely ill-advised to yeah. me. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so needless to say, we will um, not be uh, featuring that tonight. The The two songs that we did pick were actually um, new versions of songs released off of Pools of Mercury. So what, what was your pick, Rob? Uh, so my pick was honestly my favorite song on the album, which is Falling Down Laughing. He was feeling vulnerable. 
tumble that was foolish but wonderful and of course the first one was always free he had one wrist in heaven one ankle in hell somebody pushed all he just fell he's riding the subway watching the lights play red yellow green he's always somewhere in between all the station he wants the station he needs the station where the But since the world turned, he's learned This apple's a blood-filled tear And he falls down laughing, he falls down laughing He falls down and he disappears First he tried to be cured, now he just wants to I think the album's fine Runaway, the, the the cover of Runaway, the Del Shannon, Del Shannon song, almost killed the album for me. Uh, I was able to get past that. Again, it's my least favorite album, but I think Falling Down Laughing and, and a couple of the other songs are just really great. I think also that, I don't know, maybe, maybe Runaway, if it weren't on the album, it might have made the whole vibe of the, the record a little better. It might have it might have made things a little I don't know. I might be wrong there, but it's it's an all right album. My pick is a a reimagining of the song um, "Hair Shirt Fracture" off of um, Pools of Mercury. This again falls squarely in the yeah. Jim Carroll with the songwriting hat right. part of of that album, and um, I think both versions are quite good. But but this this is a I, I really like this song. It's a garbage truck hour. My mom reads the watchtower. I feel like I'm waiting for a train. Now the sounds from my bed. I think somebody's bled. All over something someone's keeping clean. Just make it bright, then turn it low. You don't need more than me. We could live right there beneath the stairs. I've done it. Oh, that was the last um, release for from Jim Carroll, and then of course. Uh, nine years later, he he passes away. Mm. I think it's wholly appropriate that the last song that we uh, listen to from Jim Carroll is the song that you've uh, been chomping at the bit to get to, Michael, <laughs> <laughs> called Tension. So, so this was released as a single in uh, 2022. Mm-hmm. It was... Um, I presumably an outtake uh, from the Jim Carroll band uh, back in the late 70s, or no, excuse me, back in the early 80s that that never was never released, at least not on one of the studio albums. So so let's talk about this song, Michael. You're you're a big fan. Well, I I just like it's got more of that 70s raw. Mm-hmm. Like a slightly more velvet underground feel to yeah. it, um, yeah. which it, it feels authentic. You know, that's what mm-hmm. I always talk about. Like um, 
you know, and, and the proof that it was authentic was that the record company left it off the record. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> if they left it off the record, you know, they had their heads up their asses and, and, yeah. and you know, thought it wasn't commercial enough. And that's exactly, you know, that's exactly why we all listened to Punk and New Wave in the time, because it wasn't commercial. Or, or, right. or didn't feel commercial back then because it was so different. So um, I, I just like how raw it is. I yeah. really do. And it's, I think that uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I keep talking about it because it was a new find for me doing my research, you know, for this show. And it surprised me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you remind me of uh, a time when I asked somebody what their favorite punk band was. And they said Blink-182. Um <laughs> You know, I I thought I died all of a sudden. Like, wait, what did you just say? (laughs) Blink 182. Um, I didn't know even though they're a punk band. Yeah, well, (laughs) uh, uh, neither did I, but (laughs) but that's what he said. Um, But but it's that it's that rawness and that honesty that that I really like about those early albums the most. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's go ahead and listen to Tension. It gave me that word, you know. Just like a radio, but I hear the voices. I hear their voices. Give me this methadone. It was just like a telephone. But I hear the voices. I hear all their voices. They give me two, not one. That's twice as much as God's first son. But they forgot to mention tension. Now, wasn't that great? Wasn't that worth listening to and and exploring? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, we we do have time. So um, I would like, I mean, this is a totally relevant conversation to have while we're talking about Jim Carroll, but um, it's something that I've been like trying to wrap my brain around for a long time with Mm. uh, a lot of different artists. You know, there are, uh, Rob and I agree on a lot of stuff, but it Mm. seems like the area that we um, kind of go in two opposite directions is the uh, the poet with rock music or punk music thing versus punk rock which in my in my head just sound so different um and rob always just sort of like waves that away by saying well they're they're a poet um so i've been thinking about this for a long time and um, I'd love to have a conversation about the idea of poetry in punk and new wave. Um, first of all, can we all agree that that lyrics are inherently poetry? I yeah, mean, absolutely. Is, we're yeah, we're all on board you, with that, right? It depends if you speak them or sing them, right? That's yeah, the, that's yeah. the difference. And 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 I think I, I think a, a poem doesn't have to be set to the music. And mm-hmm. singing a lyric has to be coordinated with the notes, right? Wouldn't yeah. That, wouldn't we agree that that's the difference? 
So like on one end of this, this spectrum, you've got lyrics by artists like Lydia Lunch and um, Beck, where they are very surreal and, you know, lyrical. And then the other extreme would be like the Ramones, where they're very, very straightforward and simple and not particularly complex. But it's all poetry, right? Well, I, I think that, look, the person we haven't mentioned today is John Cooper Clark. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the fact that, you know, the fact that he is of the same elk as John Lydon. And then you get Pill doing songs like This Is Religion. And I mean, he's, he's, it's almost indistinguishable between John Cooper Clark and John Lydon singing This Is Religion. You know, it's, yeah, right. You know, so it's the irony here, I think, is that, you know, we're talking about, we're, we're talking about, you know, poetry and and in punk, and it became a whole genre called rap and hip hop. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've been thinking about this and the different types of lyrics and different style, lyrical styles and poetic styles. Um, I've been I, I I find it helpful to to compare them to like writers or novelists, right? So in my mind, uh, when you look at like David Byrne of the Talking Heads and Elvis Costello, to me, the the writer equivalent of their style would be like a, a Shel Silverstein or <laughs> um, a Dr. Seuss, right? Very uh, whimsical and mischievous. Um, now, when I think of the the artists that, in my mind, Jim Carroll kind of falls in uh, lyrically, like um, Patti Smith mm-hmm. and um, uh, Lou Reed. Mm-hmm. Artists like very, very New York streets. Actually, I think all of those artists, the the common link is they're all, they all come out of Andy Warhol's factory. Is, isn't that true? I, I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, Lou, Lou Reed does. And, yeah. and, uh, and so does Jim Carroll. And I think Patti Smith does as well. No, right? Patti, Patti was, uh, uh, I, I mean, I think Lou and Patti dated, but I don't think she was a part of the factory scene. Uh-huh. And okay. she was, you know, she dated Robert Maplethorpe. Um, um, also, they lived together. I, I think she was part of the CBGB scene, right? That, uh-huh. was, That's that sure. was her That was her scene, and people encouraged her to set her. Because she would start at CBGB's doing readings. And mm-hmm. people encouraged her to... Uh, you know, to, to set it to music. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, so, so, you know, when you say that I say, yeah, but he's a poet, I'm not making excuses for anything. I do think that um, a lot of what we hear 
musically is basically poetry put to music. Again, like Michael pointed out, they're singing the the, the, the poems as opposed to speaking them. And, mm-hmm. and that's the difference. Now, Patti Smith, um, well, and like we've heard Jim Carroll tonight, Patti Smith has her moments where she's yelling or speaking out the poem. And then she's got the, the moments where there's actually some singing in there. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm talking about the the con the content of the uh, the words, right? Mm-hmm. So in in my mind, that those those artists, they're kind of more. Their prose is kind of more in the storytelling mode than the. Uh, more lyrical prose type. I see. Right? Uh, yeah. They, I, I they, see what you're they saying. They're ter- telling you. Yeah, you that, write you write the words differently, right? Because yeah, you're yeah. because you're singing them as opposed to speaking them. And I think by the by the mere f- by that mere fact, you write them sl- slowly different. Well, yeah, and their and their stuff is like um I, I like less lyrical in the in the sense that they're not uh, they're not using as many like metaphors. They're not as whimsical. So I think in my mind that these artists that we're talking about fall. And I I encourage you to push back um, on me as much as you want. But to me, it feels more stylistically feels more like in line with like. Ernest Hemingway, right? Not really flowery prose, just kind of telling a very, like, specific story about mm-hmm. a specific thing or thing that happens or thing that they're feeling. Am I way off base on this? No, and I, I think the more I think about it, like, you really do, you're you're less telling a story um, when you're singing and you're more using the lyrics sometimes repetitively in verses to mm-hmm. sing a song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that maybe, maybe what happens in my case, I think maybe I actually sold somebody short uh, because I think when it comes to the writing, the lyrics, et cetera, the content um, for me, it's all about whether or not it feels honest, whether or mm-hmm. not it feels, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. whether or not it feels real. There are yeah. plenty of songs that you, you know, that you hear and it's, it's flowery and it's bouncy and it's like, what the hell is this? This is just bubble gum. There's no, no real content here. And that might be me being a bit of a snob. Well, Um. (laughs) well, but, but I will say like, let's go, let's get back to Elvis Costello, right? Okay. Um, Now I wouldn't say that his songwriting in a whole is empty and not about anything, but I wouldn't call it a lot of it I wouldn't call particularly like honest and earnest, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he is he he is pretty snarky. He is, um, you know, very whimsical. Um, well, there's a lot of honesty in in talking shit, though. You know, there's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there's a lot of honesty in being snarky. I gotta say, yeah, it it, it and and I will consider I consider Elvis Costello. I to think be Elvis is brilliant. I think Elvis is absolutely brilliant. I, I do too. Um, but but very different, completely different directions that I think resonate differently 
between R- R- Rob, you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then and then getting getting back to the equivocating lyric uh, lyric styles with with writers. There's a third group that I've identified that's kind of in the middle of those two extremes, mm-hmm. um, which I would call like um, very prose, very lyr- lyrical prose. Um, that's P-R-O-S-E. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like I'm, I and for authors, I'm thinking of like um, John Irving, who is an amazing writer and um, uh, Ray Bradbury, not, not his science fiction stuff so much as his more personal stuff, like something uh-huh. wicked this way comes in dandelion wine. Are either of you familiar with the novel dandelion wine? Yeah, that, absolutely. That is an amazing novel that, that changed my life when I was, uh, when I was in high school and his prose, it's, it's like, it's very fanciful and lyrical, but it's also telling of a very clear, linear story at the same time. And so for artists, musical artists, I would say like David Bowie and Kate Bush, mm-hmm. um, you know, artists like that, which are kind of really uh, very clearly storytellers, but are much more fanciful uh, lyrically than, say, uh, Jim Carroll. So anyways, that's that's Joseph's little therapy session about poetry. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for bearing with me on that one, guys. (laughs) Sure enough. (laughs) All right. Excellent. Well, um, so, Michael, you just returned from Europe. How was how was your trip? My trip was amazing. I was yeah. in uh, London seeing my gallery, Iconic Images, there. We were supposed to do a talk that got canceled because of the Piccadilly train strike. Um, but then I went on to uh, Cascais, uh, Portugal, just outside of Lisbon. And mm-hmm. I had the, what was the fourth and by far the nicest uh, museum exhibition for the Days of Punk project. It's nice. 110 images, four light boxes. They put up uh, huge vinyls and beautiful graphics. We had videos playing. It was they. Yeah. My my agents there really did a nice job. I was really happy. I, I got to say, I, I I've seen some of the photos from that on your social media. And even those photos are gorgeous. I mean, it's like <laughs> there that was one hell of a of an opening. I mean, it was it was fantastic. It, it just looked great. It was nice. And the month before we had a an opening at the Leica Gallery. So it's been uh, it's been good. It's been good. Mm-hmm. The book uh, the book Punk Post Punk New Wave on stage backstage in your face has been doing well. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know the project is the project keeps getting a lot of traction, which is really nice. So mm-hmm. that's cool. You got any other projects you can share with us? Um, you know, we are just working on uh, getting, you know, getting these museum shows traveling. Uh, we have a crated, packaged uh, show ready to travel in the U.S. and uh, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, one in Europe, and the one in Europe uh, um, comes down at the end of January, and hopefully we'll find a. 
home for both of them soon. It's been an great. exciting well, time. Well, be, really be great, sure man. and let us know so once cool. once you've got a when and where, and we'll because uh, I'm sure that our listeners, if they're in the vicinity, will want to check it out. So we'll yeah. we'll we'll do our best to keep everybody abreast of uh, when that comes to a town near you. Sounds amazing, guys. And yeah. if anyone ever you know is interested in a fine art print of their favorite punk bands, it's. Everything I have is at daysofpunk.com. Um, and uh, the book is available for sale there, too. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Rob, you've got a couple of things on your well, list that you want to well, yeah. you want to touch base on? I did. I mean, uh, first of all, I want to say, uh, again, how grateful that we are and, and, and honored that you're on the show. Um, I've always enjoyed conversations with you and enjoy your work. I continue to see you all over the internet and it's pretty awesome. Um, Thank you. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to a listener, um, Derek from Stockton, California, who popped into the bookstore today to say, Hey, um, we got to talking about music a little bit. He listens to the podcast. He's faithful to the podcast. Um, and when, in fact, I believe he bought Michael's book um, because I mentioned it here on the podcast. Mm. That's amazing. So I think, think that's really cool. Now he, I said, so what are your favorite uh, punk bands and new wave bands? And he says, you know what? He goes, I was born in 73. And I grew up listening to my brother, who was nine years older than me. I grew up listening to his favorite music, and so it was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, but <laughs> but he says, I'm so excited about the podcast because you guys are educating me and getting me turned on to a lot of really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just wanted to give a shout out to Derek before I, I mention this next uh, story that's connected to Michael Moore. So another thing I, I mentioned, uh, we were talking about your book. So I have a friend who has been in all kinds of, of professions in all kinds of industries, and she's been into the art industry. She's been into um, the comic book industry, the music industry. And, you know, she, she I don't even, I, I feel bad that I don't know the name of the, the, the punk band that she managed in San Francisco years ago, but. She and I were talking, and she gave me a book called Coast to Coast Punk Rock Images. And it was um, from uh, an, an art exhibit in Italy back in 1989, and it was curated by F. Stop Fitzgerald. Okay. And I, I opened it him. up. Yeah, yeah. I opened it up to see a photograph, the first page I opened it to a photograph of Jim Carroll by uh, Chester Simpson. And it was, it was in that, that exhibit. And uh, of course she was at the exhibit. So she has all these books. Um, and we got to talking about it. I got really excited about it. And I said, well, let me show you a book with some killer punk photography. And uh, I took her back to the, you know, into the store and, and showed her uh, your book. And she went wild for it. Wow. She just went wild. And um, and I'm like, oh, hang on a second, because there was you sent me signed, uh, you know, book plates. So I said, hang on a minute. And I brought your your autograph and I, I 
slipped you know, it in. I, I slipped it in <laughs> and she, she just went crazy for it. So I just wanted to mention that to yeah, you. I appreciate uh, that. I appreciate yeah. That. And that book, have, you guys have always been so kind. So, yeah, well, it, it continues to sell and we will continue to do so. So, uh, but at any rate, you know, it started with that book that, that, like I said, the art curated by F. Stop Fitzgerald. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, I like F. Stop's work. Let's let's check this book out. Well, none of it's by F. Stop Fitzgerald. It's all curated by right. him. So, so. Mm -hmm. but. All right, gents. At any rate. Well, Ooh. thank you so much, Michael. Again, we always it's always a joy to reconnect with you. Uh, it's been a minute for sure. Uh, so we'll hopefully we won't have to go a year and a half between visits from you. Anytime. <laughs> and I always appreciate the, the appreciation. So it's, yeah. it's very sweet. So you guys are great. Do a good show. Yeah, I want to um, thank everybody for your patience. This this uh, episode, of course, is, can, is coming out a couple of weeks later than we had originally hoped before reasons that we already went, went over. Um, so what that means is that the next two weeks, we are going to be releasing episodes. So it's just going to be back to back to back. Rob, you and I... In two days, we're recording the January, oh. uh, excuse me, the February <laughs> 1980 yeah. episode. Um, that's going to come out next week. Uh, so I've got my work ahead of me as far as getting everything together and doing all and the editing. But Rob, hmm. February 1980, holy crap. I knew yeah, it was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be this good. I, I thought... It's so good, Joseph. We might need help doing it. I'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 tell you what. I um, I liked the output from January, but but uh -huh. I was a bit going back and listening to that episode. I was a little bit of a negative Nancy. It's like almost all of the releases. Uh, there was some variation of I kind of like it, but. And there's 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 one clunker in February because there's always one. Yeah, it's got to be but, one. But all of the rest of the albums are exceeding my expectations. Yeah. So that that's going to be coming out next week. Um, I couldn't be more thrilled with February of 1980. We are going to go out. <clears throat> on a song from one of the more obscure albums released in February of 1980. Let's see if you can identify that. Um, otherwise, Michael, once again, thank you so much, Rob. Yeah, it was great you. talking with you guys. We'll see everybody next week. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks for everything. And I want to thank the listeners for listening. Thank you. Absolutely. See ya. All right. Here are the albums that we'll be covering in our next episode of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts. Iggy Pop's Soldier, 
young Marvel giants, Colossal Youth, Elvis Costello and the attractions Get Happy, Lydia Lunch's Queen of Siam, Random Holds, The View From Here, aka Etcetera-ville, Squeezes Argy Bargy, Selectors, Too Much Pressure, The Psychedelic Furs, debut album The Psychedelic Furs, Martha and the Muffins with Metro Music, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark with their eponymously titled debut album, The Knack with But the Little Girls Understand, Toya's debut album, Sheep Farming in Barnett, and The Ramones with End of the Century. (laughs) 